Hello everyone and welcome to Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, the podcast now by Coastal. Woohoo! What does that mean? Well, we're in two cities. We're by coastal. Oh, I see. You know, like uh, right. yeah, it used to be New York and LA. You'd be by coastal, but now we're we're winging our yep. way around Australia. I, I'm in the wonderful metropolis of Melbourne, and you're in the fabulous mm-hmm. metropolis of Surface Paradise, yes. in Queensland. There you go. Yes. See, we're, we're up that? and up and down the east coast. There you go, and here we are. And tell you what. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great being up here in Queensland and, you know, hanging out with 100,000 other Victorians. Mm-hmm. And it's even better that Dan Andrews isn't one of those 100,000 <laughs> Victorians. So it's just it's just great. Uh, how is uh, how is Queensland? You know I spend a lot of time up there and I lived up there for a long time, but uh, how are you finding it? I know it's only early days, but how are you finding it? Um, I'm loving it, actually. It's um, The weather's great mm. and... You know, I really like Surface Paradise. It's just, I know some people might think it's a bit tacky, but I kind of like that. And um, <laughs> there's always something happening. It's, you know, it's a real action attraction. Um, I've been looking all around the place to work out where I want to live. And, you know, I've checked out Bud's Beach and Main Beach and Broad Beach and anything that's got the word beach in it. But um, I think I'm liking the surface. So ah. I've been looking at joints. I've been looking at joints to buy. I haven't looked at a joint to rent yet, but. Um, I get the feeling that it might take me a little bit longer than the amount of time I'm going to be here to find the right place. But um, so be it. Uh, we're making progress and we're learning, so that's all good. Well, you love the beach. You're a natural beach person. You love the sunshine. You love just walking around in a pair of shorts and a singlet. So uh, the, that part of that lifestyle is going to, going to be perfect for you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, unfortunately, because of the, the storms and stuff, the beaches have been closed oh, yeah. pretty much every day. But I still win in anyways because that's what I do. But um, yeah, always nice to get salt water all over you. Yeah, I love it. It does. It makes you feel. It makes you feel good. All right, it does. Uh, we have a big show coming up. Thanks to our very good friends at Mercots.edu.au. Yes. That's the website. Of course, give them a buzz and have a chat to them about. Uh, uh, becoming a better driver. I tell, oh, geez, I tell you, you're in for a, you're in for a culture shock when you get behind the wheel of a car in Queensland. Why is that? They don't drive very well at all. They need to go to Murcott. They need a. They need to have a suburb. <laughs> They need to have, <laughs> they need to have a Murcott suburb in Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane right. drivers are, are by nature dreadful. Everybody who has a foreign in their postcode should do a Murcott's driving course. Yes, I agree. Yep. One three hundred five 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 seven six, and they have uh, branches everywhere. They can help you out. But uh, if you're wanting to become a better driver, if there's someone you know who you think uh, is going to benefit from this, and that's everybody you know. Give Murcott a bus or jump on the website and have a look. Jump on the website, but don't jump on your computer. No. Now, tends, to break, tends to break the computer. Yes, it does. Now, we've got a great show. We've got a terrific talent on this show. Cheap Tricker, of course, about to hit the country and do their big uh, Under the Southern Stars tour. So we're going to talk to the promoter of that tour, Andrew McManus. And we're going yep. to talk to the bass player of uh, – well, I'm going to talk to the bass player of Cheap Trick, Tom Peterson. You, unfortunately, were in a plane when – 
that yes. interview was scheduled. And so I got to do Tom on my own, but he's a lovely fella, so we'll have a chat to him. Good. Uh, to kick us off, we're going to have uh, Vanessa Amorossi, and we're also introducing a new segment, Brian. Yes, I like this new segment a lot, Kevin. It is called I Love That Song. Yes. Because it's like those that. songs that when you hear them on the radio, you go, whooshka, and turned up. Or when you hear yep. them anywhere in a film soundtrack or whatever, you just go, oh, wow. Yeah. And we've got I a beauty. I love that song. We've got a beauty. We do. One of our favourites. It's funny. It's a song you and I have been talking about, uh, I guess, since we've been doing all these podcasts and radio and stuff together yep. for the last seven or eight years or whatever. It, we've always come back to that song as one that's uh, that's uh, drawn us both together and, and we just go, you know what? That's just a great song. And it's a pretty interesting story about how it came about. Yeah, um, it is. It's certainly not, certainly not what I expected. And it's really relevant, and uh, we didn't get into this in the interview with the man, and we'll uh, divulge in a minute, but that soundtrack that this is this song is from um, is re- re-released every year. Um, it's on a, a permanent one- every-year release. And just uh, this month, the film that it's from, Morning of the Earth, is uh, showing on the big screen. So every, every couple of years, I don't think it's every year, but every couple of years, they re-release the film uh, and show it on the big screens because it's just such a groundbreaking film for surfing films uh, and sporting yep. films in many ways. And the and the film we're talking about is Morning of the Earth and the song we're talking about is Open Up Your Heart by G. Wayne Thomas. Yes, and it's a – even the way he got his name was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a very interesting guy. Yeah. I, I was surprised with his answers and um, – but, you know, I was entertained by his answers and I hope uh, our listeners are too. And uh, he also invented something that a lot of people who have nothing to do with the music industry will go, are you really? Um, so you'll find out yeah. about that too when we get to him. But first up, uh, with a new album called City of Angels out, and I talk to the very talented Vanessa Amorossi about uh, her album and her upcoming tour around Australia. You ready, Mannix? I'm ready, Kev. Let's do it. Okay. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I can't see you, Kev, but that's okay. That's that's perfectly fine. Uh, fire away, Brian, because uh, we have this this uh, delightful lady with us for a very short amount of time, so let's, let's make the most of it. All right. Well, first of all, congratulations on the album. I think it's fantastic. Um, and what I really like about it is that the songs kind of sound like they were written a long time ago, but the production's kind of really now. And, um, gee whiz, I, yeah, it's, you're singing better than ever and mm. it's just a great album. So congratulations on that. Where did you record it? I actually did all the vocals at home through the pandemic. So wow. the beginning of 2020 I released um, a bunch of songs called The Blacklisted Collection that were songs that were thrown away and and would never see the light of day that I loved. So I released that. And then in 2021, 2021, no, I'm losing my mind. Oh, no, but a year are. ago, I kind of literally went, you know, I feel like people need to see what it is that I actually do full time in America. For the last 10 years, I just predominantly work on production, writing music and it's gospel music. It's counter melodies and arrangements supporting a lead vocal. So um, this will be the first record where I really demonstrate that and uh, and not dumb it down and not make it anything that it's not. Um, but in saying that, all of my past work always had counter melodies and gospel arrangements to it. Is this the yeah. year you always wanted us to hear? 
Yes, definitely. It's just taken a long time because, you know, like I was blessed to have success doing pop music, so it's not something you want to jump out of straight away. Uh, But I've always wanted to evolve into this for sure. It, It just allows me to do more vocally and show people what I'm about. I'm not stuck to middle range. I can sing. I've got a very low voice as well as a very high um, and I have chops, but I've never really used any of those things on my records. Wow. Is it a real string section on the album? Uh, there are bits and pieces, but the majority of it is programming. The programming Gee. this day is just unbeatable. It's unbeatable. It's, yeah, I thought it was a real orchestra. I know, I know you say that parts of it, but yeah. the, production's, the production's fantastic. Who produced it? Hmm. I did. I, I produced the whole record. Wow, you're very, very talented because, um, you know, it's. I think the production and the choice of um, some of the percussion and, as you say, the counter melodies, it's it's really classy album and, um, you know, once again, congratulations on that. Are you, gonna, are you going to tour it or what's the plan? Yeah, I'm actually on the road right now. I think we are in New South Wales. We'll head to Queensland tomorrow, then to Sydney. So I'll be touring for the rest of this month if... Uh, yeah, people want to see this stuff done live as well as the older material as well. If they hit the web page, there's a bunch of gigs up on there that they can come and attend and be a part of the celebration. But, yes, this is the first self-produced record. I've always been heavily involved in production but never took mm. a title. And uh, and the great thing about this record is that I've worked with people that I love dearly and that I think are very, very gifted. So some songs on the record I've written with Tony Featherston. He's a Melbourne songwriter, incredible guy. Yeah, I know. Um, yep. yeah there's Rod Bustos, who I've travelled with for the last 20 years. I've written songs with him. Another incredible writer uh, called Mo, who's in, I think he's at the moment in Detroit. So, you know, like I got to create art with people that, I love and was able to do things without a restriction. Well, Tony Featherstone's a great guy. I know Tony well. I've worked with him several times, many times. Would you, would you, because you're so good at producing, would you produce somebody else now that you've sort of done your own record? Um, yeah, I'm very heavily into doing that stuff and I have been involved in quite a lot of stuff that hasn't come out yet but fingers crossed will. Wow. Fantastic! Hey, can I ask yes. you about Anthony Evans? Uh, that that song that you do with him is uh, is just a vocally, my God, where that, that goes everywhere. Yeah, I mean, when when I finished that track, I've always been a massive fan of Anthony Evans and, of course, Lena Bird Miles. Um, and I thought it was reaching a little too high, giving him that track just because of. Even the demo that I had arranged it had a lot of acceleration and high to low. But if if you've listened to his vocal, he is known for having this huge male vocal. And he can literally stretch as high as a girl can. And it's in full register. It's full body tone. It's not getting thin up the top. So he's just somebody that, to me, is so out of this world, gifted. And, uh, and then the same with Lena Bird Miles. She is just a scat queen her scats are so different to what you normally hear especially with gospel music she has a real jazz flexion with things and um and she's also I mean both of them are just wonderful people like so much fun to work with very very sweet very respectful um and yeah I'm I'm very very blessed that I've been able to have them be a part of this record too 
Where, where does the gospel influence come from? Did you used to go to a gospel church or you just rec- listening to records or where does that influence come from? I just always gravitated to it. I love mm-hmm. the emotion that it makes. Like I love the way it makes you feel. Um, it's, yeah, it's always been something I've wanted to do. I remember as a kid vacuuming the floor, harmonising with the hum of the vacuum. So I'm a bit weird. Ah. <laughs> but I- Love, I love melodies that interween underneath the lead that don't interfere but then support it and and I love the layering and I love the acceleration of vocals when they're like all together and moving. Even just, I mean, now I'm getting very nerdy, but even just tones where you go to ooh and you open up the actual volume and then you shut it down. So I don't know, I've just always been a fan of it and I don't know how I really discovered it because it wasn't at my church um, I think it was more in like the 90s music, like dance music where they had like big gospel singers coming in and yeah. doing like lead parts and then they would add harmonies to it. Right. There's quite a few um, songs that are quite melancholy on the on the record, which oh, I love. Wow. I think I, I think I actually like the melancholy ones. They're my favourites. Is that autobiography? Autobiog- Biographical. Hard word to say. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Or is it just a, it's just a story that you wrote or is it, you know, is it nursing a broken heart or something like that? Because a couple of them sounds a bit sort of broken heartish and um, that's why I like them, I guess. But, um, yeah, is that autobiographical or just here's a song? No, no, they're definitely very personal stories, each one of them. Uh-huh. And it was a really hard thing to even narrow it down to 17 tracks. This is a big record and trying to get down to 17 because I felt like there were other stories that needed to be told, but these were the 17 I couldn't part with. Right. I'll Be there's one, I'll be you... there's one of those songs, obviously, that Brian's talking about because I listened to I'll Be There and felt like I'd, I'd just walked out of a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I hope it didn't make you feel that dark. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. You have the, that thing that it, that's the emotion that it that brought straight into. I thought, my God, I've just I've just followed the casket out of a funeral. Yeah, I mean, this stuff. I'm hoping it makes people feel a certain way. I mean, there are some uplifting songs on there that make me feel good, but mm. there are some songs on there that bring me back to that moment of of just. I, I can't even explain it. And still when I listen to certain tracks off the record, I get that. And it was important for me to keep those songs because I think a lot of that is lost in music these days. Everybody's very quick to get to three minutes, 30 seconds, have a have a hook, repeat the hook, and, and it's all about it's all about other things versus what it makes you feel like you shouldn't even have to listen to the lyrics. You should just be able to listen to what the vocal's doing and where it's moving with the arrangement of the song to understand what mood that is. It should just, it's cinematic. So there's mm. one track on the album, which is called as the world falls down. Yeah. Um, that one brings me to that place. Mm. Yeah, I thought um, track two is really interesting in that um, it's really stark. It's pretty much, your voice, a bit of backing vocals and a piano and that's it. It's just, you know, and it works so well. Was I, I imagine the temptation would have been, oh, well, let's put a guitar in or let's put a bass in here or put something else in. But it's just so stark. It's just sort of your voice and the piano and I just think that works really, really well and I think it's really great the way you produced it because you didn't overproduce it. You just let the song and your voice do all the work. So that was great stuff. Uh- 
I really appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, I can tell you that I did overproduce and then I had to strip it back because I just wasn't listening to where the vocal was going and I was getting in the way. Like you do get in your own head when you start building a track. You think, oh, it needs more. It needs more. It's not building enough. The vocal mm. is just not enough. But, um, yeah, when I got to the final end of that, I thought, you know what, like, that's it. Like, I understand what this album needs to be. It needs to be honest, real. The vocals need to be dry. I don't want any mm. uh, hanging tail on them. I don't need to have things to build the emotion of it. If I can deliver that vocally, I'm just going to leave it bare, leave it like what the demo was. And some of the vocals, well, the majority of the vocals are the original take of the song because even when I went back on some of the tracks, I felt like I could sing better I couldn't capture the um, – there's something about not knowing where you're going in the song that makes it have this magic. And when you go to redo yeah. it and you know where it's going, it loses this uh, blindness to it and it doesn't feel as like on the edge of your seat. It feels more planned. So, yeah, a lot of the demo vocals are also what was left. Do you think there's a possibility that on your next record you might get the vacuum cleaner out and do a bit of a harmony <laughs> with that? There's definitely a possibility that I might just go and upline, you know, upload a video of me humming and singing to a vacuum cleaner on my socials, but it might not be entertaining uh, for, uh, for an album. <laughs> well, you know, nobody else has done it, so at least it would be unique. <laughs> hey, Vanessa, I myself. Did it did so, take a lot of – I mean, do you need a lot of confidence to put a record like this out? Are you, you're feeling good about it? Oh, I'm so proud of it. And, and yeah, I, I have such a wonderful team and that's that's the reason why this, the seed was even planted, you know. The, I opened up my own record label. It's ran by my best friend and, you know, this was something that we've spoken about because she comes back and forth and stays with me in America, but we've spoken about people not knowing what it is that I do. Because I just always think, well, people know that I'm still around. People know that I do music and that I'm out here and I'm writing. Mm -hmm. But no. So it's like she she was definitely one of those people that was like, no, we have to we have to show people that this is this is what your little domain is and this is what you're about. And then in saying that, my manager's been one of my close friends for 20 years. I've worked with him since a kid, and uh, and he's also been extremely supportive and and wanting me to do something that fulfills my soul that makes me you know thirsty thirsty to get back out on the road like I've got a gig tonight I'm thirsty to sing I want to sing this material it's a challenge it's not a walk in the park to do it mm. correctly and uh and I kind of enjoy that yeah fair enough whereabouts in America are you based in LA I presume yeah yeah I'm in Los Angeles and how do you find LA uh I enjoy the hustle of it Mm -hmm. And I enjoy how uncomfortable it is. It's, uh, it's a place where there are so many international entertainers and musicians that come through it that you always yep. have to be on your game. You can't kind of come in there not ready to kick some ass. So I kind mm -hmm. of enjoy the challenge. Um, but in saying that, you know, I, I miss home. I miss normality and, uh, and earthy, earthy things that this country provides in such a beautiful way so it is a big bonus being able to be on the road and kind of I like to drive to the venues so that I can actually be along the road and stop and get out and experience little towns and things like that because that's what I miss a lot. 
Hey, Vanessa, a lot of people are going to be surprised by this by this album. Uh, and again, you know, you, you, your Crustodon fans are going to be uh, uh, sort of, wow, where did all this come from? Uh, what do you say to them? Just give it a chance. Be open-minded, you know. I know a lot of people, especially now that I'm hitting socials a lot, a lot of people remember what I did as a child. You know, there was... There was other songs, other from absolutely everybody, like This Is Who I Am and Perfect and things like that, that I feel like put a little middle middle chapter to my life. But this is this is very current. This is in the last 12 months. This is exactly what I do. I have been doing for the last 10 years. And um, and just, yeah, I, I hope that I can have people just give it a chance, just listen to it before you make judgments on on what it may be. I don't think there's any doubt. Once they hear it, they'll uh, they'll like it. There's... Yeah, it's it's a special album. Yeah, it's really good. really special record. Really, yeah. really good. Thank, thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate it. I'm really proud of it.
Vanessa Amorossi, that is the uh, the new album. It's called City of Angels. That track is called Just Let It Go. That's the one that you really liked on that album. I, uh, and I know we both like all the stuff on that album. It's really good. It's a really, really good album. I recommend people check it out. Do yourself a favour. Yeah, it's, it's a beauty. worth checking out. It is a beauty. Yep. She will be touring, so jump on our website and you'll be able to find uh, all the details of, uh, of the tour uh, for Vanessa. Now, uh, here's the new segment, yes. and we'll be doing this as often as we possibly can. Every show we hope, but it depends. Some of these people are going to be hard to track down. This bloke wasn't that hard to track down, I'm happy to say. Uh, found him on social media and tracked him down because for the debut episode of I Love That Song... Hang on, didn't we do this last week with Barry Crocker? No. Well, it kind of did. Well, not really. We didn't. We don't really well, love the Neighbours theme, but the Neighbours theme was number one in the UK. This is for those songs, yeah. and you'll. Uh, okay. we, we got one coming up next week. That's one of the songs that I just I adore. But uh, this one is "Open Up Your Heart" by G Wayne Thomas. So let's uh, talk to the man himself about uh, about how all this song came together, and then we can have a listen to it. Okay. Hello, Wayne. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. How are you going? I'm good, mate. Great. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. No worries. We want, obviously wanted to talk to you about uh, about this song, which is a song that Brian and I have loved for years and years and years and talked about and talked about and sort of had a mutual kind of uh, thing about. And then they said, well, why don't we track him down and have a chat? So um, no here, here you are. So I guess the, t- tell us how the song came to, came to be. I assume it's open up your heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a long story, really, because when we'd finished the, because remember in those days there was no sensory code or no picture lock, so you had we when you were timing out movies and things like that, you had to sort of count the bars to work out the timings, and um, which is quite a complicated process. But anyway, when I thought I'd actually finished it all and and had it all done. Um, David said, "But what if we haven't? What if we, if we screwed up the counting and all? Well, but basically, if I screwed up the counting." And um, I said, "No, no, I haven't. I think I'm. I think I'm pretty right." He asked me to do another song just in case, so I uh, I wrote "Open Up Your Heart" and got the boys in and we put it down just as a rough vocal and a rough backing track. And um, subsequently, when it came to cut the film. Cut everything together, um, we didn't need the song. But um, 2SM were doing a cross-promotion for the film when it was released. So the tapes were all sent over to John Brennan, who was the musical director at SM at the time. And he was going to pick the music that they were going to use, um, you know, to cross-promote the film. And uh, he rang a few days later for the film. But in the meantime, we'd cut the film and that sort of stuff and were pretty happy with it. He rang back and said, well, the song at the end of the tape is actually the hit. I think it's the best song on the in the soundtrack. Said, oh God, we can't Bruno because it's not in the film. <laughs> and we said, "Well, you better find somewhere to put it." <laughs> well, we can't. It's actually finished. You know, the film it, it, it's all done. And he said, "Well, we'll find somewhere." So um, that's why it's over the end title. God, so it was actually <laughs> it was an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, it was only done as, in, as a sort of like a reserve in case we. I'd messed up the bar count, but I hadn't, so uh, we didn't use it. And then, so we had to put it over the end titles, the only, only place that we could find for it. Wow. Tell us about the lyrics, because the lyrics in it are just great. There um, There's so many really strong points made in the lyrics, and, um, you know, I just thought, I just think that it's one of the best lyrics that's been written. 
What what inspired you, I suppose? Honestly, I don't know. It was just probably just some, a collection of random thoughts in my head at the time. I didn't really think that seriously. It was just probably my state of mind at the time. I didn't really think about the two seriously. Well, I sort of did, but I didn't. Um, I, I thought they were very true. Yeah. I thought most of the sentiments in them were very true. So I basically just put them together in a way that, that sort of worked, you know, um, I didn't really have any sort of any mission statement or anything to make with it or anything. I just thought, well, these things are true, so why not say them? But Wayne, were they, were they words that were hanging around from some advertising stuff? Because you're working in the advertising industry at that stage, writing jingles and doing all that sort of stuff. Were they were they kind of thoughts that you had in a, a notebook somewhere that, that you thought, oh, I might be able to use that for a Coke commercial? Yeah, or? yeah a lot of them were. I mean, like, if you speak to most songwriters, you'll find that they've also got, you know, got a stack of first verses or a stack of chorus lines, ideas and things always lurking about in the back of their mind. That, you, you know, that you sort of got a little repertoire there that you sometimes need to pull on. But it wasn't really, um, didn't really come out of necessarily commercial. Sort of work. I was actually working for Warner Brothers in those days. As, as I, the I, A&R I, bloke, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing a few commercials. Occasionally on the side, like moonlighting, <laughs> I suppose. But um, you know, the thoughts that you have and you keep to think it might come in handy one day. You know, there's a lot of that going on. Hmm. But you speak to any songwriter, you'll find it the same thing. You know, they've got lots of little bits and pieces here and there that one day they may be used. You know. Well, it's the best uh, collection of random thoughts I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. That's <laughs> Hey, so it became. I mean, Two SM obviously were doing a big thing with the with the movie Morning of the Earth, and uh, so so it became a really big hit in Sydney. But it wasn't a really big hit in Melbourne because you had a blue with a, a Melbourne radio bloke. Is that right? I did. I did. Dan Rowe. Yeah, and he made sure it wasn't played in Victoria at all. So it was Stan. I was, I was uh, when I was reading this stuff. I thought it, the only person I could think of who had that kind of power at that stage in Melbourne radio would have been Stan Rove. It was, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can't really sort of say what the dispute was about, but if you know his predilections, you will know what it was probably about. You say that you just did a, you know, a rough demo and a guide, but. The production on the song is is really quite huge. Um, so, did you go and re-record it, or did you just yeah, yeah? Well, I went back to Melbourne and read the vocals and tidied up a bit and put the strings on. And well, the strings. Well, that was was that real strings? Because it sounds like real strings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The real thing. Um, so, a quartet or yeah. an orchestra? Oh, just so you know, basically the, the normal session string players in Melbourne. We probably had about twenty of them, I suppose, something like that. Wow. I mean, it wasn't yeah, small. Um, yeah, no, we're going to do it. We might as well do it as good as we can. Yeah. Well, yeah. The um, the morning of the earth, the, the whole soundtrack. I mean, you you recorded most of it in uh, in Melbourne uh, using people like Phil Manning and Broderick Smith and all those really well known yeah. Melbourne musos who played on it. Who were about as far from the surfing fraternity as you could have possibly <laughs> got. I would have thought. <laughs> as you get, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they're still they're still pretty fine musicians, you know. Yeah, well, that's right. But also. There was no 16-track recording facility in Sydney at the time. So we had to, if I wanted to do that and, and to have as many options as I possibly could, I had to go to Melbourne, and which was great because, as you know, as you say, Broderick Smith, well, Paddy and, um, you know, they were all, all, you know, fine musicians. Mark Kennedy, 
Billy, Billy, yeah. Billy Green, Duncan Maguire. I mean, the list of people you had on the album was uh, was just sensational. Yeah. Well, they had their own great band. Maybe they were Doug, Doug Parkinson's. Yeah, they were. <laughs> of Dougie's band, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Billy Green is just what a beautiful player. Unbelievable. Did you want to be a pop star or was that something that you – because, I mean, I mentioned you, you came out of, um, uh, you know, born in New Zealand, you came out of advertising and then got into the songwriting part of it when you are an A&R bloke at Warner Brothers or WEA or whatever it was called at that stage. Yeah. So did the pop star thing, was that something that was kind of foisted upon you because of Open Up Your Heart and you went, oh, hang on, I'm not sure about this? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Because I wouldn't spend a couple of years – I've been at NIDA as a production student and I worked at night for Frank Strain, the theatre guy. I was with the opera company for a couple of years in the technical staff there. And I, no, it, it was really by accident, well, sort of by accident, really. And it sort of, the whole thing sort of came as a bit of a surprise. Um, a collection of random thoughts by a guy who doesn't rate himself as a singer and who doesn't want to be a pop star comes out with one of the greatest songs in Australian history. Wow, what a story. Yeah, well, it's sort of a bit like that. Sort of a bit like that. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. But, but we, had, I, yeah, we had a bit of success producing John English and stuff like that as well. So we sort of went on with the production side of there. Well, you did John's first yeah. album, didn't you? You did what, was it Wine yeah. Back Sea? Yeah, yeah, well, and turn the page. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Did you and John set up W&G? Was that actually your label? Yeah, it was, and it was meant as a joke, but they took it seriously. I can't believe it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> warm, yeah. and, warm and genuine, a record warm company called Warm and Genuine. should have been called like... Cold and sincere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God almighty. Yeah, that's what we both owned it, yeah. When you hear uh, Open Up Your Heart Now... Yeah. What 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 do you what do you think? What feelings do you have? Oh, I was holding great affection. Um, was very good for me, um, and I, I think it actually holds up not too bad for something that's fifty years old. No, it holds um, up great. You, you know, that may have been very good to me. Soundtrack obviously been good to me as well. I'm quite pleased, you know, because it's, it's still around. There's plenty of records that were made in those all those years in between. Now, can I ask you? I've got to ask you this question. You were you were asked by the record company to put the G in front of Wayne Thomas because there was a drummer at the time in some band who who was whose name was Wayne Thomas, and they didn't want you and him to get mixed up and it to affect your fame. Have you ever met the bloke, seen the bloke, or know where the bloke yeah. is these days? Yeah, I don't know where he is these days. But yeah, Wayne Thomas. The band was called Flake. Oh, is and he they Flake? Had a couple of kids. Yeah, he's the drummer. See, my real name is actually Graham Wayne Thomas. And, um, but I've always been called Wayne because my father was called Graham. I never used the Graham. And when they wanted a distinction, it's actually Warner Brothers put the G back in front of my name because it was my real name. So it became G Wayne Thomas. And then that made everyone think I was American. Yeah. Sort of like Tom T. Hall. Born in America. Yeah. Yeah, Tom T. Hall, G. Wayne Thomas. Yeah, it's all sort of yeah. ties in. Yeah. yeah. Post all this rock star stuff that you did, what was the thing you – you invented like a golf finder, a golf range um, a distance uh, measurer? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, me and the engineers, we had a company called Finranger, which we introduced GPS into golf in America. We had quite a few adventures doing that and, living in the States for a while, and we, uh, we actually sold that company to uh, GPS Industries 
in 2002, I think. So when a golfer stands on a, uh, on a you know, in the middle of a fairway somewhere and he's looking to find out how far away the pin is, you, you helped invent that GPS system that works out that it's 150 yards to the pin. Yeah. Well, wow. yeah. Tom and I have both owned the patent on that. Um, Don't tell me. You just had a couple of random thoughts about this and then you didn't really like golf and just thought you'll make it anyway and it turned out to be a huge success. Well, Something happens a bit like that. Oh, <laughs> listen, listen, next time you have a couple of random thoughts, can you give Brian and I a call? Because we did. Yeah. Yeah. I like your random thoughts. Yeah, it might be it might be a dollar in it for all of us uh, in here somewhere. Yeah. And the other thing I found out about you today is that your daughter is Melissa Thomas, who was the actress in Brides of Christ in East Street. Yeah, she is. This is my youngest daughter. Yeah, yeah. Melissa. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my eldest daughter has just come back to America. She's was working for Gene Pruitt, who's head of the Film Academy there. Yeah. We both want to say thank you for creating uh, that song because that song still today, I know you you underplayed it there, but it still measures up beautifully today on any, whether it's lyrically, production-wise, vocally, anything, it still hits it out of the park. Yeah, it does. It's great. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Been terrific having a talk. Thanks for joining. G. Wayne Thomas. Absolutely, my pleasure. Anytime, boys. There's no formula for happiness that's guaranteed to work. It all depends on how you treat your friends and how much you've been hurt. But it's a start. When you open up your heart Try not to hide What you feel inside Just open up your heart There's no dreamer who's ever dreamed Seen it all come true Takes a lot of time and breaks a lot of hearts To see an idea through And love's just Truth is easily lost I'm sorry said so easily Nobody counts the cost But it's a start You open up your heart
There's no formula for happiness that's guaranteed to work. No lover's ever been in love and not been hurt. No dreamer has ever dreamed and seen it all come true. In the end, you find the things that count are up to me and you. Here it is, G. Wayne Thomas, Open Up Your Heart. Radio stations should still be playing that song. No matter what format it is, they should still be playing that song. Good I song. think it's got some great some great advice in that song. I yeah. think the lyrics are terrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for a bunch of random thoughts that he put together. Random <laughs> thoughts, oh. crikey. Imagine, just I was so surprised by that. Yeah. I thought, you know, he probably slaved over those lyrics because they're so good. But um, just some random thoughts. Jot it down on a piece of paper and away you go. Yep. Uh, and thanks to G. Wayne Thomas and, uh, of course, uh, check out his uh, social media uh, as well because uh, you can get uh, uh, merchandise and copies of the the album uh, from the uh, from the soundtrack from the film and all that stuff. So check all that out as well. Now, uh, I, I, you, you sit this one out because uh, I did this one on my own because you're on a plane to Queensland where you are now yep. um, having yep. been rescheduled and so we had to uh, – uh, do this interview when we could, and we did, and I sat down and had a chat to uh, the bassist from Cheap Trick and one of the co-founding members of the band and a really nice fella, as it turns out. Tom Peterson joins us now on The Life of Brian. Good on you, Tom. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good. Good to hear. How, well, uh, March the 1st is a significant date for you, isn't it? March the 1st? Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Oh, the happy day where I, yeah, I had open heart surgery March 1st. You, you're good, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been a year, you know, so now I'm back to normal. Yeah. This tour, uh, we've, had, uh, we've had several goes at trying to make this tour happen. How, how important is it for you guys to be on the road at this stage? Well, we're, that's what we do, you know, so it's important to us. It's how we, you know, it's how we make a living. So that, that part's good. Is there still we're, the... We're glad that we're successful enough that we can continue working. That's not... The case for most people, you know, they you, either you just don't make it out, you you'd enjoy it, but we might want to be able to buy food and lodging and things like that, to be able to live, support yourself. But we're we've done well enough that we can continue, so that's great. Co-founding this band back in 1974, there would have been no vision in your head that nearly 50 years later you'd be sitting in a in a room planning a, a tour of Australia. Ah, uh, no, we'd be planning our you know, I don't know what would be. We wouldn't be planning. We'd be dead. That's what we would have probably thought. I can't believe we're not, but we're still going. So what the hell, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone seems to have had a holiday from Cheap Trick at some stage. You had, you had a holiday. Was that, was that a good thing for you to, to kind of reinvigorate your, your, your kind of interest and roots in the band? No. It was, it was weird being I mean, I, I, off for really two years. We've Never had more than two weeks off, usually. So, but I, I think uh, it was interesting, you know, and it went by fast. I mean, the second, this last year, I was, you know, recovering from open heart surgery. 
especially at first, you know, and you gradually get better and better. And then, you know, you don't want to get sick or have anything happen, you know, while you're not really recovered, but I'm now I'm totally fine. So I can get sick. <laughs> I don't want to. Anytime you get anything, you know, your nose runs or anything. Oh my God, COVID. Oh no. But um, we're fine. Yeah. Given that you're, you're very much a road band, as you said, did, did the thought of, uh, you know, leaving America and travelling overseas and, and going through all the protocols that you've got to go through, did that did that at any stage put a great big huge handbrake on, on your thought process and you go, no, this is all just too hard? Or was it always going to be, no, we, we're a road band, we want to be on the road? Well, it's, it's also, we're not personally booking the show. So the people that book the shows and, you know, and, and ask us to play and stuff, aren't the ones that have to do that. So that never enters into anybody's, what do they care how far we have to go? <laughs> All they care is how much they're going to make out of it. You know? uh, Australia's been a really good and really healthy uh, market for, for Cheap Trick for, for, for well, since day one virtually. I mean, the Live at Budokan album was was a big success here. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it was before it was a big success in America or how the time frame worked, but you've always had great success in Australia. You've always uh, really had a great connection with the, the Australian music public. Yes, and we love Australia. Yeah, we Budokan kind of hit worldwide all at the same time. But uh, beyond that, yeah, we had you know we've done well in Australia, and uh, I I love it over there. We've been on eight tours over there, so I I don't know if this is our ninth or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're obviously a great connection. And you you made some great uh, sort of friends with other bands, Australian bands, in the in the time that you've been out here touring both here and and touring in America as well. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, we did a lot of shows in the U.S. with ACDC, and, and when they, you know, we were first starting in '77, and uh, yeah, we've worked with all sorts of different Australian acts with uh, excess and obviously ACDC, of course. And I just recently saw Wolf Mother. That was that was cool. Well, not recently. Now it was at least two years ago. I haven't been <laughs> out of my backyard for two, two years. Yeah, has that been a prolific time in terms of songwriting for the band, uh, the, the the hiatus for the last couple of years? I mean, I know obviously the last year hasn't been for you, but the In Another World album came out. Uh, have you been writing since then? Oh yeah, we always are. We're always thinking of the next record. When when Another World came, well, any record came out. We once we finish it, we're kind of on, okay. What's next? He's like, wait a minute, this thing's not even released yet. Well, it doesn't matter. We're done with it, and we just move on. So. We just enjoy recording and, you know, putting out music that we personally like to hear. Yeah. Is one of the hardest parts for you guys these days actually deciding on the set list? Uh, yes. You really can't win because diehard fans don't want to hear any hits and people that are just casual listeners, that's all they want to hear and they don't want to hear about any, oh, here's something from our new record. Okay, bathroom break, you know, <laughs> or well, what's that? you know, any deep track. So you, you really can't win. So it's really up to us just to do what we think we want to do. The story that I've, I've, I've heard over the years that I want you to want me wasn't originally in the set for Budokan, but your, your promoter or someone around said, Oh, look, this song's actually really big. You should, you should include it in this, in this, uh, in this night's performance. And as it turned out, that was the, yeah. the, the killer track. That shows you what what we know. Yeah, they, he looked at our set list. He goes, "Hey, where's I want you to want me?" It's like, "Oh, we stopped doing that." You know, it wasn't didn't <laughs> didn't get us anywhere. Why should you? Know, it's like, "Oh no, 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 that was a huge hit here." Okay, fine. So we did it, and uh, yeah, if, if it had been up to us, it wouldn't even be on that record. Yeah. 
Outside of uh, the, the music part, I want to talk to you about a couple of other things. Uh, your, your invention of the 12-string bass guitar, how did that happen and, and what has that led to for you? I mean, is that, is that something you're still very proud of or has that become a bit of a uh, sort of a you're drawn you to still? It? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to get a big orchestrated sound and that just seemed to me like a good way to do it, have, you know, a lot of strings. So it's, you know, triple, triple string, three E, A, D, G, three each, you know, an octave apart. It's just something I thought would sound cool. You know, we knew these guys that were starting a guitar company, Hammer Guitars. And I said, yeah, here's my idea. And they said, yeah, we'll, uh, we don't know if that'll work, but we'll try it. And when I got my first one, they just showed up with it and I started, plugged it in and never stopped. So that was it. Now I'm stuck with it, whether I like it or not. <laughs> well, that was going to be the fault. The, what I was alluding to is, is that something that you're now really happy that you did or is it, is it something that has become a millstone? No, no, no. It's, it's really, that's the sound I wanted to hear. So that's, so yeah, it's, yeah, I suppose it's a little harder to play, but I'm so used to it that it doesn't make any difference. What's good about it too is that when you go to a, a regular four string or a guitar or anything, it seems so easy to play because you don't need that amount of strength. So it's it's good to build your strength when you play a normal four string. It's like a breeze. Yeah. yeah. So you've done you've done a, a fair bit of work outside Cheap Trick with with other people. How how is, has that been? Something that you really desperately wanted to do? Something that you were lucky enough to do, or uh, how did you pursue that? Anybody that would kind of look to us to record something, usually we would. Like, oh, I love uh, what you did on this song or whatever. And like, you know, can you get that style? If it's if it's something like, yeah, it's great to see you. Uh, can you play like Bootsy Collins? Uh, <laughs> no. Better <laughs> <laughs> call Bootsy himself. I can't, no, I don't know. You know, so we're not professional studio guys. Yep. That's, that's a different world completely. Yep. But when you when you've done stuff with the likes of the the late Harry Nielsen and stuff, how did how did that sort of come together? Well, that's just by chance. It, it's it, a lot of times that's their producer or the engineer or something will get get you involved. Like, oh, I know, you know. And I think a lot of people too would a lot of times would like to have you play, but they think you wouldn't do it, so they don't even ask. Yeah. But we, you know, we just I we like to record, so. Is Cheap Trick a, a band that writes in the studio uh, or do you write beforehand? Do you come in with five ideas right. and then you workshop it or how do you work that out? We write beforehand and then we come together and see what everybody likes. Like, hey, well, what have you got? And they go, you play this and they're like, oh, hey, that's really cool. Let's, let's, let's do something with that. Or, you know, so we just go through stuff and we figure out what we want to record. And, yeah, we usually don't have that much time, so it's, it's not like we're just coming up with random ideas off the top of our head when we're sitting there. We, you know, we put thought into what we're presenting to the group. And if, if somebody wants to pick up on it, that there you go. And a lot of times it's, oh, that's a great chorus, but you know, that would fit. I've got this song and that part would fit perfect in here. So there's a lot of that going on. Too. Yeah. So we don't just start winging it in the studio, really. You know, like, <laughs> like with Mac, you're in there for five years doing one album. We're in there for like five days. Yeah. Is there a pile of songs that uh, you know are not cheap trick songs as such that, that that you've sort of had in your in your songwriting catalog over the years? Not really, because we really just concentrate on what you know on cheap trick. 
we look forward to it. We were always, you know, you constantly listening to music and thinking of things and, you know, coming home and coming up with ideas. So it's really because we've got this outlet where we know at some point we're going to go in and do another record. So we're always on the lookout for good ideas. You know, yeah. like, okay, this is a cool riff or I got this, this will make a great chorus. And then you go from there and then, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into it, but it's, it's a, it's a creative outlet that we, you know, and we enjoy it. So. Well, clearly the, the passion and the fun and, uh, and, the, and the expectation and the excitement uh, pre-tour is, is still very much a part of what, of what you're doing. I'm getting the impression that you're, you're actually busting to get on the road and, and get out here and, uh, and play these shows. Yeah, you know, that's what we do. We really don't, you know, that's our, been our whole life really since we were teenagers. So we don't, we, <laughs> we don't know any better, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was, was Rock Your Speech. Tell me about, uh, about that. You put that together with your wife to, to help kids yes. connect to music with basically with autistic kids. Yes, it, that's how it started. And when then it, it uh, I was just writing some songs for our our son, who's now he's fourteen, but he uh, you know couldn't speak. So we realized he liked music, but he only really picked up on certain elements of a song. But if you remember, he liked I don't know. Blue Eyes, you know, Elton John or something. And he, he'd know that one part and he'd always come in in the same spot because the other stuff is just too complicated for him to pick up on it. Yeah. So my wife had the idea, why don't you write you know, some, just some material and just that's really got a simple content and, uh, you know, it's easy to understand. It's not a lot of lyric content, just to, you know. So I did, okay, I come up with this thing. I'm like, yeah, I did this cool riff and I came up with a thing called... Uh, What's your name? What's your name? Da, 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 da. What's, hello, hello, what's your name? That's basically the lyric content. And I brought him upstairs and I go, hey, Liam, listen to this. And he loved it. And he started singing along and answering. And the next day, we went to the grocery store with him and he started asking strangers what their name was. Oh, he'd wow. Never said he'd never said anything really to anybody before. We looked at each other like, okay. So, so just one thing led to another, and I just did a bunch of tracks that were simple lyric content, you know, you know, things that he would understand. He just loved it. So we got more really involved, not necessarily with autism, but really just speech therapy in general. So yeah. it's just kind of an ongoing thing, but that's really how it started. And we, uh, you know, the, the speech therapist world is really interesting. It's all these really dedicated people that are in it. You know, they're not in it for the, there's no big money or anything in it. For, so they're doing it for the love of, you know, people really to help people. It's like being a nurse or something like, wow, wow. Who wants, you know, what a rough job. Well, that's yeah. just, you know, but we, uh, the speech therapy. So that's really you kind of branch off into that. So, but that's how it started. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's terrific. So what can Australian audiences expect from Cheap Trick when you hit the stage uh, on Friday the 11th of March, the first shows at Maitland, and, and then you're off around this country, you're playing all sorts of places in this country in this tour this time around? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll just find out when we get there. I don't know what to expect. How much of a loose cannon is Rick? He's not loose at all. Really? Mm-hmm. He's as normal as they come. 
you're not believing this. <laughs> Am, are you getting that impression from? Uh... Never know. Like <laughs> he seems normal to me. <laughs> You've been with him since 1970 or something, or, or thereabouts. I, I wish um, we went to high school together. Yeah. Oh wow. So before that, I've known him since probably 1965. Sheesh. That, now that sounds like a long time ago, and it was. Yeah. It is a long. Yeah. Uh, is he the same now as he was then? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's always been normal. <laughs> normal's a uh, normal's a very loose expression, <laughs> isn't it? It's kind of me. Yeah, a very loose, very loose word. Normal in the context of uh, conversation. Yeah, you know, we um, we spoke to Robin a few. Uh, well, uh, might be a year ago now that we we spoke to Robin. Uh, he's singing as well as he's ever sung before in his life, which must be a treat for you guys uh, playing with someone who's got those pipes. It's unbelievable. I honestly, I think he's better than ever. It's really fantastic. Yeah, but we work a lot, so it's it's easy to get out of shape, especially for a singer. And we just never have that opportunity <laughs> because we're always working. So it's good and bad, you know. Yeah, no, it's terrific. It'd be great to have you in the country at long last. And this is a hell of a bill that uh, that you're bringing around the country. But it'll be fantastic that we're yeah, finally getting it here. Yeah, cool. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be good. Enjoy the tour. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Can't wait to get down there. I want you to want me.
There you go, Cheap Trick. They're live uh, starting this weekend uh, right around Australia. You'll be able to see them uh, for the Under the Southern Stars Tour, which is a massive tour um, and one that's been, well, off and on. I remember, was it must have been nearly a year ago we spoke to Robin Zander. Yep. Um, and that was, they, they were on their way in about a month back a year ago. But um, as usual, everything gets postponed during COVID, but um, they're finally here and that's great. Yep. So uh, what we thought we'd do also is have a chat to the man who's uh, sort of put this tour together because this is the first, forget the Foo Fighters, that was a one-off show that only happened in Victoria. In terms of a national tour, this one, at the Under the Southern Stars Tour, is the first big one uh, post-COVID for, for anybody to get their heads around. And the man who's bringing Cheap Trick and uh, and Bush and, uh, and all the bands uh, to Australia is Andrew McManus, who you've had dealings with over the years, Mano, with, uh, with some tours. Right. I have indeed, and uh, I think it's great that he's, you know, finally getting the bands here and um, kick-starting, you know, touring again, which is fantastic. Um, wasn't sure about the Foo Fighters deal. Like, you know, they're a great band. But the, fair, the state government gives $6 million to a bunch of people that don't need the money, and it doesn't really help Victorian acts, I don't think. But um, anyway, I hope everybody had a good time at the concert. Yeah, well, this is about obviously, and you'll hear Andrew talk about the fact it's not only um, Cheap Trick and and Bush and the Stone Temple Pilots. It's also uh, Rose Tattoo, um, the the Super Jesus. Um, I forget who else the other. He mentions them in the in the in the chat that we've got here. But let's have a talk to the man putting all this under the southern's uh, under the southern stars tour together. Ugh, his oh. name his name's Andrew McManus. All righty. Touring anybody at the moment is a is a nightmare. This um, this under the Southern Stars tour, part seventy five almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been interesting, Kevin. Like you know, it's been a challenge, and you know, like it's interesting. I was doing an interview with the Australian uh, during the week, and um, the journalist there he said to me, "Do you realise that uh, the country went into mothballs March 13, thousand and twenty? Whereas our first show is going to be March 11, 2022. So it'll be nearly two years to the day since everything got shut down the, from uh, international artists and live entertainment has been you know, on Australian soil. So um, it, 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 it just, it's just when you, th- you know, if you said that to me you know, two years ago, you know, you'd be going, oh, these, these dudes got rocks in their heads. But from the point of view of, of, of our you know, perception of live touring it, it's just so different the way that i'm building the backstage and you know having to put covid management plans in and not letting the international artists mix with the australians and having to have you know barricade from the sorry you know bike rack barricade from the front of house desk back to the to the actual backstage area so the american crews don't mingle with the australian audience so that oh, there's no God. potential of getting covid and all these things it's just uh, it's just a completely new 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 playing field let's be honest everything's about money uh, two years of non-activity is a bloody big and you know we've i've had it in my business brian's had it clearly in his business mm-hmm. and you've obviously had it in yours well, Brian and I pretty well are paralleled in our businesses and, yeah. you know, yeah. it's from live music and we haven't done a show. I was, I was, to be honest with you, the last live act that we toured and, and had on a stage was Boyzone, which was September 2019. Wow. Um, so, you know, we've had to, you know, be very, you know, clever and, you know, it, it's been a matter of, you know, without, you know, 
you know, looking for sympathy. We've had to sell stuff to keep the things going. And um, that's just the way it is. And I look at it as it's only material things. And at the end of the day, we'll come out the other end and we'll get all that shit back. Um, I don't know if you'll ever say shit, but I've done it. Yeah, um, you can. <laughs> we encourage it. But, yeah, you know, look, it, it, Kevin, it's been... Um, you know, every day you get out of bed and some days you, it's, you struggle too. And I'm sure Brian will attest to that. You struggle to get out of bed. Yeah, um, yeah. Got, got no sense of purpose. On, yeah, well, you've got people relying on you. Um, so you just got to get out, give yourself an uppercut and get on. <laughs> and that's that's sort of what, what's been happened. And it's been uh, a long, long, slow drag. But that long, slow drag now, thankfully, we can see the finishing line. And, you know, with support of, of the good media, which is, you know, people like yourselves, instead of the unintellectual media that want to build up, you know, COVID as this this monster and, and keeping people away from shows and, and don't mix and all this shit, please, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. how's the patience been with the international acts and, and dealing with them on this? On this? Well, you know, they, they I've I got to admit that this time, um, they were hesitant up until about February 1. And that's at February 1, I just basically said, okay, we're going to go for it. And they went, well, yeah, there's no turning back this time. We have to go for it. We had 17 people on a Zoom call. It was all the managers, the agents and production guys and went, okay, well, because they were holding off booking their crews because their crews was, were, were, you know, wary of committing to this tour and then it moving again and not taking work in the States. So once I committed on February 1, there's no coming back. You know, like, you know, we're going. And the great thing about it is since we've all made that decision that it's like, you know, pedal to the metal, don't look in the rear view, rear view mirror, we're going forward, uh, they've been fantastic. And, you know, the guys have been doing, you know, you know Gavin's been enormous and Robin and, and Rick, they're, they're rolling up their sleeves this week. And the guy, actually, the guys from Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, they've just done 12-odd interviews. Um, because they all understand the importance um, of doing Australia and being the first international bands in such a long period of time to play on Australian soil and, you know, hopefully open the floodgates for future artists um, that are a little bit hesitant. Because we'll prove it. <coughs> yeah, I'll prove the way to do it. Yeah, so it's not really something that you set out to do. Like, you know, you're, you're a promoter and you've got to do all of this sort of health stuff backstage and stuff. It's not really... Brian, I just got... Normally it wouldn't, that wouldn't come under your title. Oh, no, this, no, so no, there's no, always extra work for you to do. Oh, 100%. But it's also you have to learn. You have to learn on your feet and, um, you know, and you have to learn quickly and you have to learn with a smile on your face and keeping, because the people you're now dealing with, you're not dealing with production companies per se like you were. You're dealing with health departments, you're dealing with police, and you're dealing with people that, and councils that can shut you down in a second if you don't you know, toe the line. Uh, we expected the floodgates to open and international bands to be coming here at a million miles an hour, and there were that many lined up to tour. Now it's kind of like Rod Stewart's pulled the pin. Uh, ex, you know, There's so many who pulled the pin on it. Is the market... Now, kind of shrinking back to where it probably should be. Uh, no, look, you know, it's it's the last man standing. That's sort of the way where we are at the moment. There's no community confidence. There's no consumer confidence. So sales have actually stopped dead. Um, so we made, but we made the decision we're going to turn that consumer confidence around. And that's the big thing: get out and support the live scene. 
now on live music. And it's not only live international bands, it's got the Rose Tattoo, you've got Black Sorrows, you know, you've got Killing Heidi, you've got Super Jesus, you've got Electric Mary, you've got Dallas Crane, you've got Flying Car, all these other bands we've got on the tour and on shows. So you're supporting Australian music as well. People need to get out and vote with their feet and, and get behind, you know, well, our festival specifically, which will open then, you know, opportunities for others. Uh, Obviously, you two know each other from, from, some, uh, from some days on the road, uh, I would from, imagine. We used to get yeah. on Selena's days when, you know, remember, um, oh, fuck, I've seen him before, your manager. Larry. Larry. <coughs> Larry <coughs> Tyler. Larry mm. Tyler. I used to love him. Jesus, we got up to no good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a very charming man. Um, we often say, uh, oh, he's as happy as Larry, and I always say, no. Nobody's as happy as Larry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. He used, yeah. To those, used to wear those, I used to always remember, laugh, because he used to wear, always wear the, as R.M. Williams, and they were always spotless. He might have shitty pants on or whatever, but his boots were always shining. Yeah, absolutely. Six inches taller. <laughs> well, he needed it. He's not very tall, but, uh, but good, yeah. Good man. So, Andrew, if, you, if you're the template for what, uh, what's going to happen, uh, you know, in the next 12 months in terms of this Under the Southern Stars tour is going to be the template of what's going to happen in the next 12 months, um, how confident are you of, you know, the bloody guidelines not being changed in the next couple of weeks on you? Oh, we're not. And that conversation we've, we had to have with all the artists and, you know, and all I can do is get up out of bed the, that day and deal with what's, what's in front of us yeah. and manage it that man in that manner like and it's going to go both ways there's going to be you know relaxations which is great and there's probably going to be more hurdles which we just have to have to jump over and then we've got no alternative so it's really important this to it you know i think because you know if you get this one and it all goes well well that'll open the doors for lots of other bands and lots of other tours and stuff so oh, i agree i agree you know i agree yeah. I, th- I think brian that you know whilst people are still hesitant and I think that, you know, things will improve for us once I get the actual bands walking through the airport. Yeah. And as, as the guys walk through international, have a photographer there going click, 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 and here they are, you know? Yeah. Uh, a cheap trick led recovery for Australian music. That, that sounds good to me. Well. Yeah, me too. I appreciate you both your time today, and it, it will work. Um, and, like, you know, and, and you know, understanding, you know, Brian's... You know, pedigree being an actual musician and artist, he would he would feel it more than even I do being behind the scenes and yourself, Kevin. You know, like meteorising it. Yeah. Um, but we've got to get these guys back on stage, and we got and it's just for the, their own mental health because I know a few, quite a few musicians that are on the edge, and crews are even yeah. worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and my you know my guys are just you know I can see smiles on their faces now as they're getting ready to start prepping the PA and the lights and everything for this big monster tour and, you know, like, you know, 100-foot stage and all the rest of it. You know, we, we, worked, we worked it out. We have 600 people at show reliant upon on getting jobs, you know, when wow. that's from cleaners to the security to the stage hands right through. It works out. There's, and so, you know, we're worth 7,000 jobs through the, for this, this tour. Even though it might be only a day's wage or three, two or three days' wage, but 7,000 people will actually earn an income of some description and be proud that they're actually out doing something. Um, and, and, you know, it's that, and that was an important factor too when we, you know, we thought about, you know, what we're going to do and, you know, if, if we had to 
move it back again and, and I was steadfast against it and all the managers finally you know, come round and they said, yeah, okay, let's go for it and we're in. Yeah, beautiful. Great. So go and see Cheap Trick and all the bands. Uh, that'll be a great show and hopefully that's the start of uh, some really big shows all around the country uh, and live music back as it was a couple of years ago and everyone having a great time and making some money and having some employment and feeling good about themselves. Let's hope so. Let's cross our fingers and... Well, I don't know. Let's just cross our fingers. Yeah, exactly. Now, one three hundred five 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 seven six is the number for Murcots. Uh, they're terrific supporters of uh, this podcast. We really thank Mark and his team uh, for getting behind us. Murcots.edu.au is the website. Mm-hmm. I'm starting yes. to, I'm, I've been hanging around with you now for, what, an hour, and I'm starting to speak fluent Queensland. One, there you go. <laughs> you start to put A on the end of your words. That's what, yeah, you, that's what you do on Queensland. You go, mate. Just yeah, go down the shop, eh? Um, and I think I'll pick up a, I'll pick up, uh, I'll pick up some some beer, eh? And uh, yeah. you, want, you want anything to eat, eh? Well, it won't, it won't be long. The show, eh? It won't be long. We're Brian. wrapping up the show, eh? Hey, uh, oh, hey, we might. Uh, Mercots.edu.au. One three hundred five 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 seven six. They speak any language you like. Give them a buzz. Have a chat. They speak the that's, language of road safety, which is a good one. That's the perfect language for somebody with an automobile. Have you started drinking Forex beer? No, no, right. not yet. Right. No, no, it's. Um, you know, still got a lot of Victorian in me, but um, we might get there. You won't be long. How's the tan? How's the tan going? Oh, not bad. Um, You're naturally tanned, almost. Yeah, I suppose. But um, it's actually got thunder and lightning here at the moment, uh, and it's raining. But um, that's okay. It's still warm, and it looks like my balcony. Watching the lightning and stuff looks pretty cool. Oh, listen to so, the Queen of Queensland over here off my balcony. Oh, off my balcony. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, if you're in Queensland, you have to have a balcony. Yeah, you've got to have a house on stilts. I remember that was the funniest thing. My dad used to, when we first moved to Queensland, uh, having been Victorian, um, my dad used to talk about the houses on stilts. Went, what the hell are you talking about? Well, the Queensland houses, yeah. they're all on stilts. Yeah. No, I think the ones in Lismore should be on Extra high stilts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's terrible. That's been horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. I uh, hope everyone's uh, all right out of that. Well, you look after yourself and take care. When next we meet, we'll have the likes of uh, Alex Smith from uh, Moving Pictures. Our, our yep. I love that song, is a song from America uh, from 1972 mm. that was a top ten hit here, and I, I love this song. I love it too. Yeah, I know. I reckon it's great. Oh, it's yeah. a fantastic song. So uh, that, that's a beauty. Uh, and uh, we also might, uh, you know, we've still got Johnny Brewster from uh, the Angels. We're going to talk to him. We've got lots coming yep. up. Lots and lots and lots it's, coming up. We are chock-a-block with great guests. So from our, from your new bi-coastal up the, <laughs> eastern, up the Eastern Seaboard podcast, farewell for this week. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kev. I'll talk to you soon. You will. 